You're listening to a best of edition of the Hamilton Corner. Darkness is not an affirmative force. It simply reoccupies the space vacated by the light. This is the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio. It should be uncomfortable for a believer to live as a hypocrite. Delivering people out of the bondage of mainstream media. And the philosophies of this world. God has called you and me to be his ambassadors. Even in this dark moment. Let's not miss our moment. And now, The Hamilton Corner. Good evening. Welcome to this edition of The Hamilton Corner here on American Family Radio. I'm your host, Abraham Hamilton III, and I'm excited to be able to offer today's program to you. Many of you are making your way, as I often say, from your part-time jobs to your full-time jobs. Please remember to not allow yourselves to offer your maximum fruitfulness outside of your homes only to come home and offer your families the, the leftovers. No, we have to f- properly understand that the first ministry we are called to as Christians is to ministry to Jerusalem, ministry in home. All too often, uh, people sacrifice their families on the altar of external fruitfulness and external uh, ministry only to realize after they have burned the candle at both ends to come to the latter parts of their lives and realize, man, I should have invested more in my family. Let that not be said about you. Let it not be said about me, but let us have a proper understanding of the Great Commission's call to Jerusalem, to Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We don't want to sacrifice the uttermost parts of the world because we are exclusively focused on Jerusalem, but we certainly don't want to sacrifice Jerusalem in an effort to win the world. We can do both. And that even reminds me, uh, I, had a, I had a guy tell me one time, Abe, can, can, oh, ask me, not tell me, can you really serve God and have a family? It was a young man. He was, he was trying to decide uh, whether or not God was calling him to be a husband uh, and a father. And because he had such a heart for God, he had got some uh, bad teaching, <laughs> quite frankly, uh, along the way where he was told that you can't really serve God fully and have a family. And I said, man, I guess that must be newsflash for Apostle Peter who was married, by the way, (laughs) that must be a newsflash, you know, for the Apostle Paul, who, though he was not married, he wrote by the unction of the Spirit of God, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 4, and Ephesians chapter 5 specifically, where husbands are called to wash our wives with the water of the word. So it's just unfortunate that those are the types of communications that are made affirmatively and overtly and even uh, passively when we have people all too willing to sacrifice their families. Family is the first ministry. Because family is the first institution ordained by God. Well, I'm uh, glad to be with you again. I'm going to start today's program as is our custom in, in the scripture. And we're going to begin with Proverbs chapter 3. Just, just going to read verses 1 through 8. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And this is just a reminder. You know, this isn't novel information. This is just a reminder of what the Lord really requires of us and desires for us. So here we go. Let's, let's get started. I'll read it first. Then we'll talk about it a little bit. Verse one in chapter three, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. They will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment, refreshment to your bones. Oh, praise God for his word, for his word. So right off the bat, uh, this writer in Proverbs in chapter three, chapter three is writing as a father to a son which by application, or should I say by implication, will, will also apply uh, from a father to a daughter, from a mother to a daughter, from a mother to a son. This is sound godly wisdom where the encouragement is, okay, you've received all of this teaching, and this is referring to the first two chapters so far, uh, but don't forget it. Don't allow the teaching to be shelved in your heart and shelved in your mind, but to keep it active. And it goes further, says, but let your heart keep my commandments. It's amazing that the phrase there is let your heart, which really is a term of permission, a term of admission where uh, the, 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 the fatherly advisor is advising his two, his two, his disciple, if you will, to allow your heart to keep my commandments. Isn't that amazing? Because it really conveys the, 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 the true prospect that we can deny our hearts and minds from receiving and applying the commands of God. And when the, this old Testament reference to the heart hit there, it's not talking about the, the four chambered, the chambered organ that disseminates blood throughout our physical body. The word heart there in Hebrew is a reference to the seat of human consciousness and volition, the seat of human consciousness, emotion, and volition. Let not your reasoning capacities, your emotive capacities, and your your awareness capacities deny the truth of the commands that are being offered to you. Verse two, because th then the result of your heart embracing these commandments are for length of days and years of life and peace. They will add to you. Isn't it amazing that the first commandment with promise of the, under the 10 commandments that's citing from Exodus 20, but written in Ephesians chapter six is honor your father and your mother that your days may be long on the earth. This is the first commandment with promise. Could it be, could it be this rash of uh, violence amongst the, amongst the younger people in our communities, amongst the, the crime-ridden communities around the country, even in many of these schools where the children are, are angry and rebellious, could it be that the lack of value for life is related to an unwillingness to honor fathers and mothers. Now, of course, that may seem too spiritual, a bit too biblical for some, but the word of God is true because the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, Exodus 20, <laughs> that honoring our fathers and our mothers will result in length of days. And here in Proverbs 3, the heart of this, the disciple that is receiving, accepting, and applying with consistency the teachings of the discipler will result in peace and length of days added to them. Could it be <laughs> a young man who grew up like I did in the New Orleans' Lord Ninth Ward? When, when your father says, Abe, I don't want you hanging out with those drug dealers. Could it be that if little Abe refuses to heed the instruction of his father, that little Abe's life could be put in jeopardy as a result of rejecting the wisdom of father? I'll go on. 
Let not steadfast love and faithfulness. King James here says, mercy and truth forsake you, but bind them around your neck. Bind them around your neck. This communication is that these things should be a perpetual and consistent reality for you. Not a fleeting visitation to where we visit them when we're in church, but we abandon them when we're outside of church. Where we develop this kind of disassociative spiritual identity disorder where we act one way around one group of people and we act a different way around other groups of people. No, this should be the consistent manner of living for us. Write them on the tablet of your heart. There's much I can say there, but I'm going to keep going because I'm trying to get to a particular point. Again, verse four, as a result of obeying, heeding these instructions, verse four says, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. (laughs) There is great benefit to yielding to the word of God, to submitting our hearts, submitting our way of living to God's word. There is great benefit there. Then we come to verse five, and this is really where I want to go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart (laughs) and do not lean to your own understanding. Isn't it amazing that the proverb writer lays a table before us, a feast of insight that complete, absolute, 100% trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. Again, same word, seat of human consciousness, seat of human volition and seat of emotion, emotive capacities. Trusting in the Lord with the full thrust of all of our human reliance is mutually exclusive to leaning on our own understanding. <laughs> to say it differently, there's no way you can, be lean, you can lean on your own understanding and simultaneously trust in the Lord with all your heart. Can't happen. Why is that? Why is that? Because in order to trust in the Lord with all our hearts, it requires us to submit our reasoning, our wills, our emotive capacities, our human consciousness to the transcendent reality of who God is. That's why the Hebrew writer says, if any man want to receive anything from God, he must first believe that God is. That's not mere mental assent to his existence. It is taken into full scope, embracing the full comprehension of the weight, scope, nature, will, character of who God is. That he's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, loves us deeply, went to the cross for us. In order to receive anything from God, we must first, (laughs) excuse me, believe that he is. And look what Proverbs chapter three, verse six says, and in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Again, that word acknowledge there is not mere mental assent, but is a Hebrew word, yada, which literally means to carry into every future engagement, every future encounter, the full scope of God's faithfulness on your behalf. That includes his written word and your personal testimony of God's faithfulness. And this is where I'm going with this. The unfortunate reality is that in our day, we have loads of people who profess to be Christians, but in reality, for all practical purposes, there are functional atheists. Now, why do I say that? Because in all of their lives doing, it is a consistent testimony of leaning on their own understanding. Remember what I said, it is impossible to trust God with all our hearts when we have the consistent habitual lifestyle of relying on ourselves. Folks, that is humanism just exercised within a church cultural context. And in this day and age, Jeff was was talking to me on the way in. We saw Kate Spade, uh, billionaire, you know, sold her company 
for $2.25 billion after becoming a world-renowned clothing designer, having over 180-something stores all over the country, the world would say, man, she's living it up. Then re-entered the design world after taking time off to raise her daughter, and she took her own life with all of that. This morning, I learned of the news of Anthony Bourdain, the world-renowned celebrity chef and mixed martial artist to, you know, who you're dating uh, actresses or models, I don't know, whatever it is, takes his own life. You know why, folks? Because the world is looking for something. The world is looking for something. Romans says that the world quakes and groans in anticipation of the manifestation of the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Those who are led by the spirit of God, not those who are led by themselves. Functional atheism within a Christian context exercises itself or it, it looks like a Christian who is prayerless, <laughs> a Christian who lives according to their own agenda, a person who professes to be a believer with pretty good church attendance records. But when it comes down to the way we live our lives, it's by leaning on our own understanding. And it's amazing that the proverb writer uses the phrase leaning. It gives the indication that this is a consistent manner of living and that they have to be uh, snapped out of the leaning by some external force. Let today be the day where we resolve in our hearts, where we submit ourselves fully to the Lord. And if we find that we are those who have the habit of living the humanistic life while professing to be a believer, living a life of relying on ourselves as opposed to relying on the one who knows all and has all power, let today be the day of adjustment. Because guess what? There's a world waiting to see what it looks like to have a fully switched on believer. Shining light into the darkness, this is the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the Hamilton Corner here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I am so excited to have who has become a pretty frequent guest now on the Hamilton Corner and a friend of the program, Dr. Walter E. Williams, who is a dis the distinguished professor of economics at George Mason University. And quite frankly, in my opinion, folks, he is a national treasure. I, I just watched uh, a documentary on him that was produced a little while ago called Suffer No Fools, which I encourage you to find and to watch. It is phenomenal. I know it's on YouTube. I know it's on Amazon Video and a couple other places. Uh, but Dr. Williams, thank you so much for joining me on the program. How are you? Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Well, I want to jump right into it uh, because I have found amongst my generation, those that are younger and even some that are a little bit older, they, are come, they have come to the place where they fancy socialism. <laughs> the New York Times wrote a glowing uh, article uh, in celebration of Karl Marx's birthday, and people are literally drinking this stuff up. I have done on this program an expose on the person of Karl Marx, even before digging into his his economic philosophy within socialism, but why do you, why are we at a place in our country where people? I mean, we're just a, 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 a few decades removed from Ronald Reagan saying, "Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall." Why are people in America today warming up to socialism? Well, I I think a lot of it has to do with the uh, indoctrination hmm. uh, that they received in their uh, K through twelve years and and then later on uh, in their uh, college uh, uh, life. But uh, if, you, if you actually pr 
press people and they ask them, well, which as I wrote in the column, which areas of your life are you the most satisfied and which areas are you the most uh, dissatisfied? Well, it turns out that the, the free market capitalism, you know, the, you never see people picketing and arguing about their supermarkets or their computer stores or their clothing stores. And all of these uh, um, agencies, they operate on the basis of, of market capitalism and, uh, and, and the profit motive. And if you ask people, well, well, which areas are you are you most dissatisfied? We just want to observe people being dissatisfied. Well, it turns out to be public education, the motor vehicles department, garbage collection. That is, those areas in our life that are more socialistic. That is, that they're run by uh, government as opposed to the market, and there and there's no profit motive as opposed to uh, the the free market having a profit motive, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, so, you, but but nobody explains that to them, and I think also that uh, socialism uh, promises uh, people uh, greater control over the lives of others. Mm. Now, for those who may be unfamiliar with these terms, I know m- most of my audience is familiar with it, but we get new listeners all the time. Uh, how would you define capitalism, and then how would you define socialism? Well, I'd say that that capitalism. Uh, is a, a system wherein people are free to engage in peaceable voluntary exchange, mm. and there's a very, very limited role uh, by uh, government. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, government's role under capitalism, free market capitalism, is to uh, enforce uh, 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 contracts, uh, adjudicate disputes, and uh, stop one person from ripping off another person. Mm. Now, socialism. Typically, socialism or communism is defined as a system wherein the uh, the means of production uh, belong to the government. Uh, that is, uh, there's government control over the means of production. And if you look if you look around the world and you say, well, in which societies are people better off? Well, and and, and if you rank countries, we you know we don't have any uh, pure capitalist or pure market system. But if you, but we have uh, you know we've come close to it in certain instances. If you rank countries according to whether they're at the free market end of the economic spectrum or the socialist or communist end of the economic spectrum, you'll find that those countries that are towards the free market end, the people have greater wealth, they have greater protection, and also if you check the uh, international amnesty or freedom house. You find that their economic liberties or their or their personal liberties are best protected, and if you want to find people who's who who are poor and whose uh, uh, personal uh, uh, liberties are not protected, you have to go to the socialist or the communist end of the uh, economic spectrum. <laughs> You're absolutely absolutely right, and I've had this conversation with with many people and and uh, many who would be I would say. Uh, academically accomplished because I, I don't I don't confuse academic accomplishment with education. <laughs> That's a whole nother yeah. story. <laughs> but what would you say to people who say, well, well, Abraham, really, the, the, the constant conservatives willingness to refer to the failures of communists, uh, Russia, socialist Germany and so on. That's just because they didn't do socialism right. But look at the Scandinavian countries. They are a good example of socialism done right. What would you say well, to someone who would say that? Well, that, that, that is absolutely wrong. That is, the Scandinavian countries, they do have a, a larger government sector, 
but uh, they they depend on the free market sector. That is, Volvo is not owned by the government in Sweden. Bingo. Or these other other uh, 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 other great countries. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, companies in Sweden and Norway and Copenhagen. They depend on the free market. The free market is very very effective. That is, there's not government control. But however, there's a, a great amount of taxation, mm-hmm. and those countries have. Uh, 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 teetered on the brink of failure off and on uh, for this uh, during the uh, 20th century. Yeah, absolutely. And then also, ahead, see, see, I think that that when when people call for socialism, it represents a contempt for personal liberty. That is mm. one of the tragedies in our country is that the average American believes that it is acceptable and that it's okay for the United States Congress to forcibly use one American to serve the purposes of another American. Let me just be more explicit. But that is, the average American think that it's okay for Congress to take your money and my money and give it to farmers and for crop subsidies or, or bail out failing businesses or give uh, uh, food stamps uh, to or, or welfare. You know, that the forcible use of one person to serve the purpose of another is a fairly good work in defini- definition of slavery. Yes, and, and and so, and matter of fact, the 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 church has been very derelict in this in getting this across. That is, mm. that is, uh, I, I think that the church's lesson to people to his congregation should be that when God gave Moses the commandment, "Thou shalt not steal," he did not mean "Thou shalt not steal" unless you have majority vote. In Congress, <laughs> come on, Doctor Williams, <laughs> you're absolutely right. And so, do do you think? And and I mean, you'll probably g- gather my opinion on this question in my question itself. Uh, but do do you think that the government's uh, encroachments further and further into education by bureaucrats and elected officials is self-interested in that the, they are fomenting this collectivist and even this willingness to embrace uh, government? confiscation of one person's wealth and resources to forcibly use it, forcibly confiscate it, to use it to give to others. Do you think the government is self-interested in gathering its control over education to foment this type of indoctrination you refer to that results on the on the back end in this I, I, willingness to socialism? I think you're socialism? absolutely right. And then on top of that, what has happened to education in our country while, while they're paying attention to the uh, uh, the environment, while they're paying attention to this, that, and that, sexism, racism, et cetera, et cetera, uh, the quality of education has gone down the tubes. Mm. Uh, and and there's, a whole, there's a whole lot of reports. There's the uh, National Assessment of, uh, of, of Education, a National Assessment of Educational Progress, and sometimes called the Nation's uh, Report Card. Mm-hmm. It shows the huge... Uh, uh, um, failing of the of the education system i believe that only 37% 37% of kids who graduate from college can, are proficient in reading mm. and only 25% are proficient in math and for for black americans it's much much worse that is it turns out for black americans only 17% are proficient in uh, in reading and only seven percent are proficient in uh, in in math. And in some cities, such as Detroit, 
Michigan, you find that the proficiency level, uh, let's say for math, is something like 3%. And, and, and in many schools across the country, there are high schools that have seven, 800 students and not a single student would test proficient in math. And so this, what, what, what this reflects, I believe, in part, is that the education establishment is focusing on uh, focusing their attention and resources on everything except education? Mm. And so, to that, and man, this 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 is a hand that I fan with because there are really only two options in this regard. We are either in spe- specifically the the leaders and the ed- in the educational establishment. We are either ignorant or we're evil. And, in, and from my standpoint, I don't think the numbers you just cited, I don't think that would be novel information for most of these people. Yet, we continue to pour trillions of dollars into what has been demonstrably a failure. That, that, is, absolute, that is absolutely right. And then on top of it, there's, there's educational fraud. That is, they, that, that is, I believe, something like the graduation rate in our country right now is around 80%. But but then when you give a kid a a high school diploma, that high school diploma attests that he can read and write at the twelfth grade level, mm-hmm. and very often he can't read and write at the eighth grade level. And and so what it is, it's a fraudulent diploma, and that fraudulence doesn't stop there because these kids are admitted to college, and it turns out that across our country, close to fifty percent of all incoming freshmen require remedial math and remedial English and remedial writing. So mm. what that's saying is saying that, number one, the high school gave them a fraudulent diploma, and then second, that the colleges are admitting people who should not be on, in, on a college campus at all. And the colleges do that because they're, because they're after tuition money. Bingo. I, you can't see me, but I'm showing my hand together, rubbing my fingers together because they're chasing that paper. That's what that's what they're looking to accomplish. And now many of the people uh, getting back to the uh, socialism conversation who are embracing uh, socialism, they do so on the grounds that that they would say, well, socialism is inherently more inherently morally superior to communism. I mean, sorry, to capitalism. What say you to that? Well, I I think that's uh, that's plain nonsense. You know, when when I think about these issues, I start off, my initial premise is that I own Walter Williams. I am my private property, mm. and you are your private property. Now, if you accept the idea of self-ownership, then certain acts are immoral and certain acts are moral. That is, the reason why murder, rape, and theft are immoral is because they violate private property. And, and the reason why... Uh, a free market exchange, peaceable voluntary exchange, is moral because it respects uh, private property. Now, when you're calling for big government, to uh, uh, the, you know, the essence of government is force. Mm. Government coerces people. Now, uh, as as uh, uh, as uh, Thomas Paine said, that government under the best of circumstances is a necessary evil. Uh, evil. Mm-hmm. That is, Thomas Paine was recognizing that we do need some government to protect us against international thugs and domestic thugs and do some other things. Mm -hmm. But he realized that the essence of government is force, and force is evil. And that's why our founders of our nation 
sought to keep government in the United States as small as possible. And, and, and you know, a lot of people don't appreciate the founders of our country and their vision. And just to give me a, a, a quote from James Madison, who's the acknowledged father of the United States Constitution, well, in 1794, Congress appropriated $15,000 to help some French refugees. James Madison stood on the floor of the House irate, and he said, and I'm quoting him, I cannot undertake to lay my finger on that article in the Constitution <laughs> that authorizes Congress to spend the money of their constituents for the purposes of benevolence. Mm. Now, can you imagine what would happen <laughs> to a presidential candidate or any politician today who made the similar statement? That, that the, and, and you look at the federal budget, two-thirds to three-quarters of it is for the purposes of benevolence. That's right. That's right. And, 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 and then just one final thing about sure. Madison. If you read uh, Federalist Paper 48, and the Federalist Papers, for the listeners out there, they were written by John J. Hamilton and Madison mm -hmm. to try to convince uh, the American people to ratify the Constitution. And in Federalist Paper 45, right, I'm sorry, in Federalist Paper 45, James Madison was trying to explain what was in the Constitution. And he said, the powers that we've delegated to the federal government by the Constitution are few and defined and restricted mostly to external affairs. Mm. Those left with the people in the state are indefinite and numerous. Now, if you turn that upside down, you'd have what we have today. That is, the powers of the federal government are indefinite and numerous, and the powers of the people in the state are limited. Are limited. That, that, oh my goodness. And, and the basic notion that is underscored here, and I know we're coming closer to, to the end of this interview, is our country has become absolutely ignorant concerning individual liberty. And they are favoring, many of them are beginning to favor collectivism instead of individual liberty. Why do you think that we have such a glowing romanticization of collectivism and, and neglect of individual liberty. Well, you know, I, I think that uh, what we all have to recognize that that personal liberty is rare in human affairs. Mm. That is, for most of mankind's history, he's been subject to abuse and control by others. And I'm very sure that a historian writing 200 years from now, he'll say, well, you know, there was this little t tiny curiosity, mostly in the West, uh, where people had personal liberty and private property rights, but it all went back to the normal state of affairs. Got to jump in right there because we're about to hit this break. Dr. Williams, I told you guys he's a national treasure. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. And thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. We'll have to have you back on the program. I mean this for the show this evening. Dr. Walter okay. E. Williams, go to his website, WalterEWilliams.com, and the E is for excellence. The Hamilton Quarter Podcast and one-minute commentaries are available at AFR.net and UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Back to the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Woo! Welcome back to the Hamilton Corner here in American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. My gosh, I told you guys, Dr. Walter Williams is a national treasure. He just turned 82 years old recently. And I, I love talking to him. I think his approach to economics, beginning with the premise that uh, as an individual, I own myself. And so uh, any concept 
Well, let me say it this way. Beginning with the premise that as an individual I own myself, it lays the foundation for the moral superiority for the free, as he described it, the free, peaceable, involuntary exchange because anything else, force, is inherently immoral. Immoral. We understand that in terms of murder would be the forcible taking of another's life. We understand that uh, in terms of rape would be the forcible intrusion and invasion of another individual. Well, why don't we understand that economically? And, and I stand by my point that we have an, a, a bloated federal government that is self-interested in expanding its own authority and preserving its own power that is willing to monetize and subsidize uh, government-based indoctrination in the indoctrination camps that are often called schools to create the passive receptivity of the immoral, forcible intrusion upon the wealth, resources, and resources of other people to forcibly extract them and disseminate them to others. Folks, socialism and communism is inherently immoral because it is an intrusion upon the private property of another by force. Even if you attempt to paint the purposes for that intrusion as some uh, justifiable good, it literally is, <laughs> go with me here, the American government's function at this day in time and at this age literally is the personification of the notion that the ends justify the means. Because they present it as if, well, we're looking to help these people and to help this group of people, this group of people. So we have to forcibly extract your private property in order to accomplish that. It is a fundamental, fundamentally immoral proposition. A fundamentally immoral proposition. And I loved Dr. Williams's response to those who attempt, attempt to hold up the Scandinavian countries as an example of socialism done right. When the reality is that they have the free market principles at play in enterprise, but you have extremely high notions of taxation. So the sources of revenues that bolster the socialistic distribution of means is free market principles. And we're seeing some of the same things happening in China. And it, it's just unfortunate that we have uh, a lar large swaths of our society <laughs> that, that we just helplessly are helplessly ignorant concerning um, capitalism. And Dr. Williams has a, an article on his website. You know, he writes for, you know, hundreds, hundreds of publications all over the country. And he's written a, a piece called Capitalism versus Socialism. And he says this in the piece, free market capitalism is disfavored by many Americans and threatened not because of its failure, but ironically because of its success. Free market capitalism in America has been so successful in eliminating the traditional problems of mankind, such as disease, pestilence, hunger, and gross poverty, that all other human problems appear both unbearable and inexcusable. End quote. Isn't that ironic? Now I'm going to turn to, and I, and I said this earlier, and I didn't intend to go back to this, but I, I'm going to go back to this now uh, because it seems like suicide and things of that nature only become sources for public com conversation and public comment when it happens is when it happens in the lives of celebrities, you know, and and frankly, that is the product of our I idolatrous conditions concerning 
celebrities. But I think that these moments give uh, stage, create a stage where those of us who are Christians, we can enter the conversation with the gospel. You know, in the popular apologetic scripture, always being ready to give a reason for the hope that you have to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have. Because many of us, we are, we are different lifestyles. We have different, you know, economic statuses and all these types of things. But one thing that's consistent in the life of believers is that we have a hope that transcends this life. You know, I made the reference to uh, church culture. And in many of our cities all over the country, when you would have a conversation about Christianity, the first response you get is, well, I go to so-and-so's church or I go to such and such church. When the question was not where you go to church, the question is, are you a believer? Are you a Christ follower? And many people misconstrue church attendance or even church membership with Christ following because in many places, what we have is not Christianity, but we have what I call churchianity, where we are familiar with church culture. We know, you know, how long the length that the skirt should be. We know uh, about A and B selections. We know the hymns. You know, we, we know you're not supposed to chew gum. We know all of the, the, the rules, the do's and the don'ts about going to church. But what do we know about following Christ? What do we know about giving our all? You know, one s small thing, if you uh, search the scriptures, and I know we say things just kind of tongue in cheek, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find a place uh, in the Bible where it says, accept Jesus in your heart. If you search the scripture now, not just repeating what you've heard in church culture, not just repeating uh, what you've what you've uh, been exposed to. But if you search the scripture, you'll find Jesus's encouragements was were repent and believe. Repent and believe, submit your life to him. You know, and one of the, the, the differences in those two concepts is submission of one's life to Jesus's lordship is completely different from just accepting what you want to accept, take it or leave it like it's a buffet line. You know, the biblical admonition was repent. That means metanoia, the Greek word for repent, uh, with the mind, meta meaning with, noia with knowledge, with the mind to turn in belief. Pistis, a full investment of faith into the person and work of Jesus Christ. To say it differently, when you have a right understanding of repentance and submission of one's life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you come to the only realistic biblical conclusion that man my life is not my own <laughs> i've been bought with a price so as a result of having been purchased with his blood i am now duty bound to give him my all and what happens in too many of our communities is that as the scripture says rightly uh, we have forms of godliness we have a form of godliness and the form is dictated by the expectation and by the uh, evaluation of our peers as opposed to it to be as opposed to it being a vertical evaluation and conclusion all right well this is probably the last story i'll get to for today i don't know we'll see uh the daily caller has done some investigation <clears throat> and they have concluded that four of the world's biggest tech platforms have working partnerships with a left-wing nonprofit that has a track record of inaccuracies and routinely labels conservative organizations as hate groups. If you listen to this program for any length of time, you probably already know who I am talking about, and you would be right. 
SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center. Facebook, Amazon, Google, and Twitter all work with or consult the Southern Poverty Law Center in policing that, their platforms for hate speech or hate groups. The SPLC is on a list of external experts and organizations that Facebook's work, Facebook works with to inform their hate speech policies. Now, Facebook's position is that, well, they don't allow the SPLC to dictate to them their hate speech and hate groups policies, but they use the SPLC as, an, as established experts in the field. <laughs> and they do this after, for example, having an anti-Muslim hate list that included uh, Majid Nuwaz. Let me make sure I say his name properly. Majid Nuwaz, who <laughs> threatened to sue them. Now, if you don't know who Majid Nuwaz is, he is himself a Muslim, but he has identified jihadists and terrorists as being threats to the world. So here you have a person who is, who is himself a Muslim that the SBLC has put on the hate, have put on their hate list. Well, they then kind of went, oh my goodness, we kind of stepped in it on this one. So when they backed away, took him off. This is the same SPLC. They had Ian Hersey Ali. I mean, this is amazing to me. Ian Hersey Ali is a, a, is a woman who is a survivor of female genital mutilation who goes around the world decrying female genital mutilation. <laughs> was born in Somalia, was elected official in the, in the Netherlands. I mean, goes all over the world saying, yo, it's wrong to, to, it's wrong to mutilate female genitalia. Yet the SBLC had her on their hate list. And of course, we, we can't leave out Ben Carson, <laughs> who because he believes the Bible about marriage, they had him listed on their hate watch list, extremist watch list. And they had to with, you know, tongue, I mean, not uh, with tail firmly pl placed between their legs, had to recant. And these are the people, these are the people that Facebook says, well, we want to consult them to help us with our hate speech policies. Amazon, they're even worse. Amazon has a, a program called Amazon Smile that allows you when you buy stuff on Amazon to donate a, a small percentage of the purchase to the charity of your choice. Right. Well, Amazon has given the SPLC full reign to govern this program. So Amazon has given SPLC the freedom to say who gets to participate in the Amazon Small Program and who does not. The same ones who put Ian Hersey Ali, Majid Nuwaz, uh, Ben Carson on the hate list. And of course, you know, American Family Association is determined to be a hate group by them. <laughs> Family Research Council, hate group. You know who else they had listed as a hate group? Alliance Defending Freedom. Yeah, the same Christian legal organization that just won a victory for Jack Phillips at the U.S. Supreme Court. <laughs> but Amazon Smile has booted ADF from their program. Why? Because SPLC said so. Google, which owns YouTube, by the way, they use SPLC to regulate 
what goes on YouTube using the flagging system. And it has to, it begs the question, when will, I'm answering my own question in my head as I'm thinking about it. I was about to say, when will the mainstream media treat the SPLC the way they should be treated, which is as a discredited, unreliable entity that simply has anti-Christian, anti-U.S. Constitution, and anti-American sentiments. That's what they are. And they have a history when they started. You know, they did some good things early on. But it's ridiculous at this day, at this stage, folks. They have over $300 million. And they call themselves the Southern Poverty Law Center. They certainly ain't poor with over $300 million. That much of which they invest in the Cayman Islands. What kind of nonprofit organization does that? You know, that is, that is a civil rights organization. <laughs> and they don't hardly do any law. Like last year, they, they dedicated something like $3 million in litigation. I mean, I'm sorry, for a national legal entity, that's very paltry. Folks, the SPLC is a money grab machine. And unfortunately, there are too many people in our country that allow them to wax expert-like when they really are just rather bigoted themselves, quite frankly. I mean, to put an organization like <laughs> ADF, American Family Association, on your hate list, you know, it's absolutely ridiculous. I was just in Baton Rouge uh, not too long ago with uh, Gene Mills and the Louisiana Family Forum. Uh, shout out to LFF. Uh, and they have worked. This has been a, a, an on-the-front-lines Christian legal policy organization for decades. Actually, they were instrumental in me even going to law school. And they have participated in Louisiana in uh, prison reform and, and criminal law reform. And the SPLC, on one hand, wants to refer to them as champions for reform. Well, how can you say they're champions for reform when you list them as haters? Folks, we have to call a spade a spade. And the longer that they are able to go in with the charade that they are neutral and detached repository and evaluator of what is hateful and hate speech and all of that, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I would like for somebody to tell me how, this, how SPLC defines hate group and hate speech. Because actually when you evaluate it, it really is anything that they disagree with, they feel is hateful. So their line of demarcation is you agree with us, you're good. You disagree, on the list you go. And of course you can't forget 2012 that the Family Research Council was shot up by a person using SPLC's hate map. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.